Now I love this weapon more than any other thing in the whole wide world. You want to know why? No. It's memorable. Sure, it's a little bulky, tough to get on a plane. You whip out a couple of swords at your ex-girlfriend's wedding? They will never, ever forget it. That's funny, Wade. I think you confuse me with someone who gives a shit. <laughs> Granted, it's, it's probably not as intimidating as having a gun or bone claws or the fingernails of a bag lady. It's the best forgotten Ahoy hoy and welcome back to Best Forgotten Movies, a podcast all about the films that time forgot. I'm Gareth Green and joining me as always is my full-time co-host and part-time mutant Andrew Phillips. What would your mutant power be? <laughs> the power to deliberate. Yeah. Yeah, the power to make decisions more quickly. <laughs> and just in time for the release of Deadpool... We're looking at 20th Century Fox's first stab at everyone's favourite merc with a mouth in X-Men Origins Wolverine. But first, roll the trailer. You were sentenced to death for decapitating a senior officer. Your sentence was carried out by a firing squad of 1,000 hours. How'd that go? It tickled. My name is Major William Stryker. The boy's tired of running, tired of denying your true nature. What do you care? Oh, I care. I care because I know how valuable you are. Putting together a special team with special privileges. Stryker said we'll be making a difference. Now tell me, how would you like to really serve your country? Just when you thought things could not get worse than Brett Ratner's The Last Stand, enter X-Men Origins Wolverine, a film so bad, even its title character forgot what happened. (laughs) 
Huge Jacked Man returns as Wolverine once more as we explore the lumberjack behind the sideburns. Lee Schreiber's gay moustache co-stars as Sabretooth, a mutant with the superpower ability to grow his nails really long, making him the envy of teenage girls everywhere. Join us as we dissect a film that failed so hard, filmmakers have been writing it out of the X-Men continuity for the last six years. Now, we both actually decided to nominate the film to coincide with the release of Deadpool, so I'm going to hand it over to you, Andy, to tell us why X-Men Origins Wolverine qualifies for consideration on Best Forgotten Movies. And also, can we, like, condense that name down to something? <laughs> Let's just call it X-Men Origins, because there's only one. Yes, uh, that's It was true. meant to be a series, wasn't there? It was meant to be X-Men Origins Magneto, which morphed into First Class. But Yeah, the first half of First Class. I think because people didn't like this one so much that they ditched the Origins moniker and decided to do something else with it. They spent the last six years trying to undo everything that this film did i think it's a film that anybody involved in the x-men series just wants people to forget really i'd imagine if they had the option they wouldn't be put in the box set <laughs> yeah <laughs> so because this is a film that is fucking awful yeah and it's been just completely ignored from yeah. here onwards really from this <laughs> film coming out it was just and rightly so ignored by every filmmaker <laughs> that graced the series since I mean, even we've got a Gambit movie coming out, yeah, uh, which goes into production this April, starring Channing Tatum, and Gambit makes his first movie appearance in this X-Men Origins movie, yeah. so they've completely recast him, and also they're just going in a completely different direction and acting like this film doesn't exist. Oh yeah, I mean, even though the Deadpool character's been played by the same actor, they're treating it as if it's a new character anyway, yes. and it's a new, it's like an Origins film And the start from scratch. Yeah, so um, it makes this film totally redundant. Yeah, it does. Completely. Especially as Wolverine can't remember any of it anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe it's one of those things where it's like, oh, I had that really weird dream one time. <laughs> Have you actually seen X-Men Origins Wolverine? Or had you seen it before this episode? Yeah, I'd seen it about, well, not that long after it came out. I'm not sure where, though. But um, I do remember seeing it. And it was pretty bad then. And when I watched it again now, it was even worse. <laughs> um, especially in the yeah. context, because I think I saw it before First Class came out. Yeah. So all we had to go on was one decent X-Men movie, another one that was all right, and one that was dog shit. Yeah. And this one. So now that the X-Men franchise has sort of been propped up a little bit, mm-hmm. well, quite a lot actually, it's kind of funny to watch it in the context of what's gone now with the, the whole new X-Men trilogy that's almost coming to a completion. And then obviously the other things that are coming out from it just seeing how awful it was and also the other thing that i completely forgot i completely forgot that this film was made in 2009 i thought it was made much earlier than that it feels like a film that was made it much does earlier than i, I was i was shocked to find yeah. that out i was thinking really is that right because i always put them into these kind of contexts i always compare <laughs> them to other films that came out around about the same time or a few years later yeah. and compare the length i was like prometheus only came out three years yeah. after this the dark knight came yeah, out the, the dark year knight before came out the year before <laughs> Oh my gosh, and it feels like a relic. It does. It feels like it sh- this film came out in like 2000 or something. Yeah, it kind of felt more in place with Daredevil and, and Elektra. Oh yeah, those films. yeah. It felt like it had the same production value as Elektra. Yeah, it does. Yeah. And didn't Iron Man come oh, out? Oh, Iron Man in... came out the year before, yeah. Yeah, so the superhero subgenre was well-founded mm. and had long since found its feet. And Marvel were just beginning their rise to complete domination over this genre. And yet you've got this film right in the middle of it that feels like 
it's part of a long forgotten time in the superhero genre when they were kind of so shaky and still find their feet and films like Blade Trinity were coming out. Mm. <laughs> Things like that. It's crazy to think about. We are still that close to X-Men Origins. Yeah, like I said, actually, it's funny. Blade Trinity was on the telly the other day and I watched about the, well, the second half of it. In a really strange way, it has quite, I mean, other than just Ryan Reynolds, it has quite a lot in common mm. with that film. It has a similar look. It was made in like 2003 or four, Yeah. Something like that. But like I said, yeah, I thought this film was made in like 2004. It just doesn't feel of its time at all. Again, it's very much like when we're talking about the pulp adaptations. It feels like that where everything's slight mm-hmm. and it feels a film out of time. Yeah. It's almost like they've misunderstood what works with superhero films and just gone in a complete wrong direction with yeah it, really yeah because to me it harkens back to and this will be probably the third episode in a row that we've actually mentioned it but it feels to me like a batman forever or a batman and robin in that it's another case of people throwing everything at the wall and hoping something sticks yeah um yeah. and making an altogether more garish type of film mm. which is kind of ugly <laughs> <laughs> it really is and the funny thing is in this film somewhere is the wolverine film that everybody wants to see unfortunately it's done in about a minute and a half oh yeah and it's over and done with and uh the main bulk of the film is that x-men film that nobody wanted to see yeah (laughs) and it's the x-men film that's done because it's easy Mm -hmm. and it doesn't require as much imagination or money yeah like i say the the x-men film that everybody wanted to see is the first 20 minutes it is yeah and then the next 80 minutes of the film is filler Mm -hmm. really well before we get into the film itself i mean first off i want to clarify our positions really on the x-men series what we think of the Mm x-men series and where we're coming at x-men origins from what direction i am very fond of x-men 2 i think it's a fantastic film one of the better superhero movies Mm. especially because it comes from a time when superhero films were still trying to find their feet. Mm. But the X-Men series as a whole has always been somewhat on shaky ground. Yeah, it's very very hit and miss. Yeah, X-Men 1 is okay. X-Men 2 is great. It kind of builds on that. You think they're going to build further with X-Men 3, The Last Stand. Obviously, for reasons that we'll get into later, there were issues with the filmmakers, and we ended up with Brett Ratner's version of... <laughs> X-Men 3 is a little capper to Brian Singer's trilogy. Yeah. And that wasn't very good at all. And no. that kind of like threw away a lot of what was built up. And by the time we actually got to X-Men Origins Wolverine, many fans didn't think it could get worse. I said that in my intro, but they were really looking for the series to take that next step back up again to really kind of reclaim what X-Men 2 had set. Especially because X-Men 2 was the film of that trilogy that most dealt with Wolverine's backstory and exploring that by introducing the Striker character. And then Origins was going to get back to that. I remember people were excited moving into this. Mm, that Oh, you know what? It's going to get back to what we loved about that last film. And um, they really just fumbled the ball. But the series has gone on since then, but that's where we're at at the moment. The X-Men series for me, it's okay. Yeah. But it's not a bastion of greatness or anything no. like that. Well, with this one, they fumbled the ball. The ball fell off a cliff and hit someone in the head and <laughs> killed them. So, not that it's a completely perfect film, but I think First Class did a lot to repair the damage and reputation of the X-Men film series so they could yeah. go ahead with Days of Future Past. 
there are few films that have made such a stunning leap in quality yeah that there is between x-men origins and first class and first class is pretty much just a complete roundabout turn it's almost a um, reaction to origins to yeah. everything that went wrong with origins and it incorporates much of what was to become x-men origins magneto which was in the works at the time mm. into that story especially any, everything to do with magneto the nazi hunter yeah yeah for all its faults and it does have faults mainly because once again much like the last stand it's a rushed production and matthew vaughn was given very little time to really think on that film and some flaws do come about because of that. But story-wise, character-wise, and the intentions of the filmmakers really make that film such... Uh, it's just a more fulfilling X-Men experience. So, before <laughs> we get our claws into X-Men Origins, Wolverine... Our bone claws. Yeah, hey. So first, here on Best Forgotten Movies, we like to provide a little bit of context before we get into the meat, which is the film. And uh, the meat, this time, being spam. Yeah. Oh, everybody's least favorite meat a mystery meat <laughs> yeah mystery meat <laughs> so as i've said this film follows x-men the last stand the final film from the x-men trilogy that was directed by brett ratner after brian singer left the series to direct superman returns and i mentioned this because it was so worth it yeah it really was <laughs> rather than wait Fox, which is, again, it's this is a Tom Rothman-run Fox, mm. decided that rather than wait for Brian Singer to be finished with the Superman series and come back and complete the X-Men trilogy that he originally started, they decided that, no, what we're going to do is we're going to rush out an X-Men film to rival your Superman film. <laughs> so it was very much a, a petty move on their behalf. Yeah. Uh, what did you think of X-Men The Last Stand? I've never seen it. Have you not? Never, ever. Well... It's a typical Brett Didn't Ratner production. Yeah, it's a typical Brett Ratner production in that he mimics the aesthetics of Brian Singer rather well, but pretty much all story strands just fall apart by the film's end. Yeah. Uh, it, it fumbles the ball in that regard. In fact, I only have, I've only ever seen the part of the film which is the the climax of the film for a hi-fi test, and uh, I just remember it being very noisy. It is very noisy. Got some really good music though. Yeah by john powell some of the series best music and considering that it's following on from michael kamen's mm. and uh, john ottman's scores for x-men one and x-men two mm. it's not a good film it looks okay it's another one of those films that's like it's less than 90 minutes so that should tell yeah, you it's just the running time that, that always baffled me like how are they going to fit all that into like 100 minutes yeah exactly it does away with a lot of the characters it kills them off mercilessly simply because whoever's writing it doesn't know what to do with them or they simply don't have the time to give them the, the service they you know need really mm. so that's how that film fell apart really is because fox just wanted to rush it out to compete with brian singer's superman returns mm. and i think something else that we have to mention before we go any further is that hugh jackman was not actually the first choice for wolverine no i mean his story begins with x-men one that's when Hugh Jackman was brought on board to play Wolverine, but he was a last-minute casting decision yep. and a second choice because the first choice was Dougary Scott, who unfortunately had to drop out because of scheduling conflicts with Mission Impossible 2 reshoots. <laughs> I mean, that would have been remarkably different. He must look at these films and see it, the career that Hugh Jackman has, oh, yeah. has led off the back of the series and 
absolutely be kicking himself over the decision he made to, you know, do Mission Impossible 2. Especially now that Mission Impossible 2 has dwindled in stature over the years, especially especially since Ghost Protocol came out and the Mission Impossible series really found its feet and has become more critically lauded mm-hmm. and more financially successful. Like, Mission Impossible 2 is kind of looked at as the uh, actually one of the dodgy ones now. The dodgiest. When, it, when at the time, it was actually looked at as being much better than the first one. Yeah. And it's really a real about turn. Which I don't understand, because Brian De Palma's Mission Impossible 1 is so much better. As, oh, yeah. As, as a film and as a story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just gratuitous action in the next one. But then again, John Woo was in it at the time. You know, yeah. Face Off was big. As a filmmaker, he was, his style was what everybody was after, really. Yeah. You know, slow motion doves, you can't get enough of them. <laughs> You have to look at Hugh Jackman as Wolverine and there is no other actor in history that has been a single character on more films than Hugh Jackman has been Wolverine. Mm. And that's more than Sean Connery's been Bond, uh, Roger Moore's been Bond. No, no. And I can't think of really anybody else. And for such a long period of time as well. Yeah. Because it's been 16, well, over 16 years now that he's been playing Wolverine. And he still looks good for it. Oh, yeah. He still looks good for it. Yeah. Considering that Wolverine as a character does not age yeah. uh, in the same way that normal people do, he still looks really good for it. Yeah. Maybe he made some deal with somebody. Yeah. <laughs> but actually, when he was first cast, I remember reading at the time that there was some fan reaction, some fan backlash, because fans didn't deem him aggressive enough as an actor to play Wolverine because he was known for like musicals and stage yeah. plays. It's like, oh, how dare you bring this kind of gay guy into <laughs> our aggressive masculine role? <laughs> he's kind of gay. He's kind of <laughs> gay. I mean, I mean that in that kind of like stereotypical. Uh, he's on stage, so he must be gay. Yeah, he'll rip your head off, but he looks kind of gay looking. <laughs> <laughs> he's got emotions and shit, so he must be gay. But yeah, but they, they thought he wasn't. Ethel, a- get my shotgun. <laughs> he looks kind of gay. <laughs> considering that they thought he wasn't aggressive enough look at him now yeah <laughs> i'd be angry so shortly after the last stand david Benioff, he's a comic book fan and now showrunner and writer of game of thrones and he pursued the project personally for three years before he was hired to write the script in october 2004 it was actually with jackman's input they both planned to make x-men origins wolverine more of a character piece Unfortunately, that did not come to pass with the hiring of Skip Woods. Oh, fucking hell, Skip Woods. He was hired to rewrite David Benioff's script after Skip Woods' work on Hitman for Fox. Yeah, or Mrs. Bruce Willis, as we'd like to call him. (laughs) It's like a civil partner. He's responsible for the last two Die Hard film scripts. Yeah. Which uh, goes to show you just a level of his... And that beautiful, beautiful Omen remake that also oh, God, stars Lee Schreiber. Oh, he's like Lee Schreiber's go-to guy. Yeah, it's Lee Schreiber keeps getting stuck in these films. <laughs> it's written by Skip Woods. Curiously, he planned to make it an R rating. Yes. Uh, he wrote an R-rated script. Mm. Obviously, knowing that would change over time. A couple of people that were pursuing the job of director also were Alexander Aja, who was director of Piranha. Oh, uh, right. Yeah. Um, he also did Hot Tension or High Tension. Oh, and the Hills of Eyes remake, which is genuinely great. And Len Wiseman, co oh. the project as well, the director of Die Hard 4.0. Oh, 
Is that Live Free and Die Hard? Yeah. Yeah, that is that one. Zack Snyder was offered the job. Zack Snyder! (laughs) But he declined due to his commitment to Watchmen, which, fair enough, it's probably his best film. Definitely his best film. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, does anything you want to say not really. I mean, I know that Hugh Jackman was, uh, or Hugh Jackman that we were going to call him now, <laughs> but um, I know he was incredibly disappointed with this film. Was he? Yeah. Yeah, I remember reading an interview with him during the making of The Wolverine, in which he pretty much disowned this film completely. Yeah, The Wolverine is, and this is I think that's the reason why they've called it just The Wolverine, because it's designed to just ignore yeah. X-Men Origins Wolverine and just say, this is uh, the first proper Wolverine movie <laughs> yeah. about Wolverine as a character, which it by and large succeeds in being a film about Wolverine as a character. I still think it's got many flaws to it. It's definitely a better film than this, though. Oh, yeah, by far. I mean, I agree with you. I think it's got some flaws. It definitely uh, stops dead at around about the halfway mark for about 10 minutes. Yeah. And then it ends on a really kind of goofy note. Yeah. And there's probably a character too many Yeah. in terms of... um really goofy in camp characters that harken back to the likes of x-men origins wolverine and the last stand i'm specifically talking about the uh, the toxic lady oh yeah yeah. Uh, she, she, the, the film didn't need that no i enjoyed it more when it was felt like it was more about assassins and yeah it and, felt and, a bit more gritty and realistic yeah and i think in that way it makes it feel more like a stopgap movie than it should be yeah because i do feel it is like a stopgap in between first class and Days of Future Past. It is. It does I, feel like a prelude to Days of Future Past. But I also like that about it in that it feels like it's just a little adventure that Wolverine's having on his own. Like this, It's an episode somewhere yeah. else. And it doesn't have to add anything to the mythos or add anything grand to the character other than within the film itself. I kind of like that about it. I think, like I say, it's a, it's a three-star film, a three-star out of five, but I think it's a damn sight better than X-Men Origins oh, Wolverine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a one-star movie. <laughs> yeah. And it was a trouble production as yes. well. Because Kevin Hood was announced as director in 2007. Following Gavin a- the Hood. <laughs> following a claim for his previous film, which um, I cannot pronounce, but I think it's called Sotsi. Yeah, it's a silent T. That's T-S-O-T-S-I. Mm. Sotsi. During filming, Fox, or Tom Rothman, and... Gavin Hood butted heads over the direction of the film. Tom Rothman micromanaged the entire production and also had many sets repainted without any input (laughs) or permission from the director. So this came out at a time, really, when Fox had a reputation for chasing the quick book, leading to them making such films as this one, The Last Stand, as we've talked about, Hitman, the last two Die Hard films, and for really turning the Alien series and Predator series, which are great and respected of their own, into the Alien vs. Predator spin-off series, which just goes to show just how much they had in mind for making quality products or productions. The man behind those decisions was Tom Rothman. Mm. It was all about a short game with them. Mm. They were after just making a cheap film with quick audience appeal, get it out there, have it open to a weekend and then disappear. Yeah. As yeah. all of those films have. Just as long as they got that good weekend out of the way with, they can let them disappear. And that's actually harmed them because many of those series, perhaps other than Alien, which is just about finding its feet once more, all of those series are struggling now. Mm. And it's because of this tampering during Tom Rothman's time with Fox. I actually have the story, which was posted on Hollywood Elsewhere, 
in which um, they discuss the huge sets being repainted. And Gavin Hood wanted the sets to be dark, dingy, and on the somber side. But then Tom Rothman ordered them to be repainted. And when Hood came back, he found that they had been repainted from top to bottom to Rothman's orders. The murky, scuzzy vibe was gone. And a brighter, less downish look had taken its place. Mm. So this was like overnight. And it just goes to show just some of the things that they butted heads over. This really gets into dodgy territory when your your producers, or even not even producer, this is your executive really, is meddling in into the artsy stuff in such a, a micromanaging way, in such a deep way, so that even just the look of your set. And such an aggressive way. Yeah. Like um, literally taking the decision away from the director. Yeah. Not discussing it, not debating it, literally just taking a, a decision from your director yeah, away yeah. and saying your input does not matter yeah it's utterly just dumbfounding yeah it's bonkers this is uh the movie business at its worst really yes like when, you, when you're dealing Fox with stuff like this worst. yeah yeah i mean not that the movie business isn't particularly bad because a lot of it genuinely is but this is kind of this is really petty stuff yeah it doesn't really matter that much on a on a money-making level the audience ain't really going to care that much about this kind of stuff. This is just because he's probably got a very small penis and he needs, to, <laughs> he needs to control everything. You get these people that just, they just want to control everything. Yeah. It's like them saying, I'm, I'm the star. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's yeah, almost yeah. like the manager of the Beatles saying, you know what? I, I'm the one that these people are all here to see. Yeah. I, it leaves me speechless, genuinely. Yeah. This yeah. kind of micromanaging. Because I think there needs to be a, a level of respect on a film crew and especially towards the director mm. like everybody has to look up to them and really respect the decisions that the director is making and how he's collaborating with his crew and tom rothman's coming in and just taking that out of there yeah, and un- yeah. by undermining him he's allowing gavin hood to lose respect over everybody yeah i wouldn't say it's the first i'd say it's one of an early example of something that we are uh, stuck in as a trend in hollywood at the moment which is taking an indie director who had had one hit film which is um Sotsi, yeah which was um i think a south african film he yes made. he's a south african director yeah he's a south african director and he um it came out to much critical acclaim i think it was even nominated for an oscar that year mm. so they've hired him based on the back of his work on that one film just to be really a pushover and we see that now in that you get these directors that kind of make one good indie film and then suddenly they're directing Jurassic World. Yeah, they're hired to do the dirty work. Yeah, exactly. And you get a sense that there's little that they're doing behind the camera, but nodding. You know, like uh, if there's a studio exec in their ear and they're just sat like going, okay. Somebody with a clipboard. Yeah. It's a very Alien 3 type scenario. Yeah, I was thinking about um, that earlier. Um, yeah, we've seen, yeah, we, we've seen, I said we've got with Colin Trevorrow. We've had it with um, Mark Webb. Yes. With the Spider-Man series. To some extent, not completely. Gareth Edwards with Godzilla. Yeah. I'd say not completely because I think the way that Thomas Tull runs Legendary. But then again, Legendary are involved with Jurassic World. Yeah, and they're Legendary and are owned by the Chinese. Yeah, ex- so, yes, they are. Yes, uh, as of yesterday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, these people are just there to do the day-to-day directing job. 
Yeah, I'd say at it's least... Very, yeah, I'd say it's a very workmanlike way of looking at it. It is. I'd say at least with Gareth Edwards, the thing that sets him apart from the rest of them is that he had directed something that was more appropriate to the film that he went on to make with the Godzilla. Oh, yeah. Considering yeah. his last film was called Monsters and was about giant monsters roaming South America. Yeah, yeah. Giant monster aliens. Then he sounds like a sure thing for a film about Godzilla. Yeah. Whereas Colin Trevorrow and... Uh, Mark Webb are known for doing these kind of little romantic indie films. Yeah, we're kind of seeing it again with the um, Pirates of the Caribbean 5 as well with the guys who did Contiki. Contiki, yes. Yeah, although at least again that one's where it's kind of similar to yeah. what they're actually going to be doing. It's a very workmanlike way of a producer looking at how filmmaking works. Yeah. It's literally the coldest, most dullest way you can do it. It's proper bean counter shit. Yeah, it um, is. Yeah, this is what happens when you let accountants run your your studio, basically. Yeah, people with no creativity. Yeah. Just there to count the beans. Obviously, it's gotten more that way ever since. I'd say probably... I'd say the film that did it was probably Heaven's Gate. Heaven's Gate yeah. was the thing that set all this in motion in terms of your businessmen taking over well, all the creative decisions and things. Heaven's Gate is perhaps the other side of the coin of the auteur getting yeah. out of hand yeah, yeah. and being given too much freedom and hanging himself with his own rope. Yeah. So, yeah, in a weird way, Michael Cimino is to blame for X-Men Origins Wolverine. <laughs> that's what we've come <laughs> to. Blame that's, on I can't him. believe that's what we've deduced <laughs> <Yeah>. from this. <laughs> yeah. In some indirect way, he's definitely to blame. Yeah. How do you sleep at night, Michael Cimino? <laughs> Knowing that you've ruined the movie industry forever. We're sorry. <laughs> anyway. I think the only thing I actually have to mention before we actually start talking about the film itself, which we really need to do, <laughs> is um, I need to mention that before the film was released, it actually a work print version leaked Yeah, about two or three months before it's a cinematic release. Yeah, I think about a million, is it a million and a half people download it or something like yeah. that. Yeah. yeah, I didn't see it. I didn't yeah. download it because I, I had no interest in seeing the film anyway. Um, <laughs> it's actually quite telling that only a million and a half people watched it. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's not a small... Well, I remember that the word of mouth after that was really, really bad. Yeah. So even before the film had come out, people knew that this was going to be a dog shit film. Yeah. And round about the time it leaked, they had undergone about four or five weeks of reshoots that Tom Rothman was pretty much on set with throughout he had demanded the reshoots because he thought there was too much story in <laughs> x-men origins wolverine but i remember him lying like blatantly lying and saying oh no no the work print is an older version of the film even though it looks mostly complete and he said it was an older version of the film and our oh, division that's released in cinema it's going to be like 10 or 15 minutes longer and there's going to be all these different things in it and uh, the things that you didn't like about the film, those are the things we've reshot. And then the film that they released was exactly the same. <laughs> and it ran for the exact amount, say, like the yeah, exact... hundred minutes. Yeah, exact yeah. same time. 102 minutes, yeah. So that's just an example of him just blatantly lying. Yeah, through bullshit, bullshit, I mean, man. at the same time, he was put into a position that no producer wants to be put into, in that his film, his $100 million film had leaked. And got a negative reaction. And got a bad reaction. So his only option left to him was to lie. But I guess that's what we're used to. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So I think that's the only other thing that I have to really mention before we start talking about the film itself. So now that we've set the scene, what did you think of M People Origins Wolverine? (laughs) (laughs) 
was Will I Am playing the Heather Small role. <laughs> Although I'd say I'd rather have Heather Small. At least she can sing. Yeah, definitely. And here he's dressed as a gay cowboy. <laughs> <laughs> the gayest of gay cowboys. He's kind of gay looking. <laughs> okay. Uh, all I've got, look, is brief overview. What did you think about the film? Didn't like it. <laughs> didn't like just, it? Just that, didn't like it. <laughs> This is yeah, me so this what do you think of the film? Don't like it. Don't like it. Next. Don't like it. <laughs> but yeah. So, what did you think of M People Origins Wolverine? It's rather spectacular how it manages to skim over and waste every single good element in the film. Oh my god! Yes, it does it in such a way that after the twenty-minute mark, it's completely redundant of ideas, and literally that the next eighty minutes of the film is completely just filler and adds nothing other than the adamantium scene there's nothing else in the film that progresses that character or does anything interesting with anybody no and none of it actually matters because by the end of the film he's forgot it anyway oh, so yeah. any arc that takes place or anything he learns as a character is um, entirely redundant by its end mm. because the film rushes towards amnesia head first yeah like it has to and at a time i think that nobody cared anymore. I mean, mm. I think the reasoning behind making this film is like somebody making a film about Jason Bourne becoming part of the Treadstone project. It's like nobody actually really cares about that. That's not why they're watching these films. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we get yeah. that there's some kind of mystery and we want to see him, Jason Bourne, confront the person that he used to be and find out who that person was. But we don't need to see a film about it. It's the journey that we're like. And I think with this Wolverine character, they've kind of missed the point. They've thought that people cared more about the mystery than they did about the character himself. Obviously, we've got to a point, especially in superhero times now, where people are starting to do the origin story thing less. Yeah. It's kind of gone out of fashion. But this is like the most unsubtle version of the origin story where they even put the word origins in the fucking title. It's like it's marketing the film based on the back of everybody's least favorite aspect of superhero films. Yeah. Because every single series I can think about, it treats the origins as something that needs to be, oh, we need to get this just out of the way with so we can actually become a superhero film. Yeah. I think the only film that actually does it right for at least half the film is Captain America. Yeah. And that's the only film where the origin stuff works better than the actual superhero stuff does. Oh, and Batman Begins. Oh, of course, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the kind of golden staple of origin yeah, yeah. stories. And also that the fact that, I mean, you can say this about the whole of the, the Dark Knight trilogy is that because the superhero stuff is so sidelined and all the character stuff is forefront and center, the actual superhero-y stuff is probably the least compelling parts of those films. Yeah. And that's kind of what makes it work. Whereas this is the other way around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. And I do think you're right in that any kind of good idea that the filmmakers and the writers have on X-Men Origins is brushed over so very quickly and i think it goes to show that the best part of the film is its title sequence yeah that's a film that i would rather see i and don't want to see shot later as well that wasn't shot that yeah was that like was a part of reshoot. reshoot yeah and i think that goes to show just how they've missed the mark because yeah. they think people want to see lumberjack wolverine or someone like that <laughs> and i'm not interested in that i want to see this depiction of a man that gravitates towards war this individual that can live seemingly forever without aging who is so angry and so animalistic and full of this kind of yeah animalistic rage that the only way for him to really get that out 
is to gravitate towards war. Mm. War after war after war. And I love that on paper. That sounds like a great film. That sounds like something to really go towards. What makes a man do that? And even if you go in to do this relationship with Sabretooth, why not have that develop through going through these wars and seeing him change? Yeah. Why not do that story? That's so much better. Mm-hmm. And get into the point where he's so repelled by doing this, but yet the other character seemingly enjoys it and relishes it. Yeah. And that's the split. And have them be friends at the start and then split at the end. Why isn't that the story? Yeah, make it so that the war becomes between them two. Because like, at the end of the, the day, the war of with, with this film, you have that, but it's done and dusted in the opening 20 minutes. And yeah. you've got nowhere else to go. And you've even got your kind of like dirty dozen crew yeah. that you could really just throw into that environment and make a film about that. Because yeah. the thing is, the X-Men series does do this again much better and it's called X-Men First Class. Because yeah, they do the same thing with Professor X and Magneto yeah, and do that relationship much better. But they could have done this here and in a weird way, it would have probably been, it could have been even better because it's they could remove it from all the other X-Men stuff. Yeah. It can be its own story. Much like the Wolverine ended up being. Yeah, it is, yeah. If they combined what the Wolverine did, but with this central story, you would have had a better film than both of them put together. Yeah. Because it would have been more compelling relationship. But because there isn't that relationship in the Wolverine, that doesn't quite meet the mark either. So there is a really good film in the middle of these two films that could have been done, but it was never... I do agree with you. Opportunity. And I think part of the problem is because the filmmakers and the writers are rushing towards this amnesia with so much pace and so much force that they're not letting any of the characters or the story, really any of those elements, breathe. Mm. And that's something that they did go on to rectify, like, say, with First Class, in that this relationship between uh, Charles and Eric is that they're allowing that relationship to develop to where we see them in the first X-Men films more naturally. Yes. And it's not like... The only thing I think they rushed into was obviously putting um, Xavier in the chair. Yeah. But other than that, they're kind of taking their time because they know that they have films to do that. Mm. It's not something that they just have to rush towards. Whereas Wolverine, they've just thought, let's just get it all into one film, into one montage of a film, and and just get to that point, just get to that end. Because obviously we were planning X-Men Origins Magneto after this it felt like they were just trying to do everybody's backstory in one movie yeah which yeah it's not a a great idea no and the other thing that i want to mention in terms of taking this series in a wrong direction is that in x-men 2 or the x-men films wolverine does come across striker and the old version of striker the man who turned him into the metal monster that he is now Mm. And he finds out a little bit about his past, which was very much in that Jason Bourne way. Wolverine opted to do this to himself. Mm. The person Wolverine used to be opted in to the experiment that ended with him having a metal skeleton. And Stryker always refers to him as the beast that he used to be, the animal that he used to be. Mm. When really, there's actually no difference between the character that Wolverine is before he gets amnesia to the character that he is after he gets amnesia. There's never anything he has to confront himself about. And again, it goes back to the the Bourne thing and obviously the Star Wars prequel thing as well. Because we have all that in X-Men 2, is this a story that needed to be told? Exactly. Because it wasn't told in any way near as good as in X2. 
the whole stuff with striker i mean i could say i think danny houston plays the part well yeah but he isn't given that much to do and any of the stuff that they do with him it's not applied as skillfully as it is in x-men 2 yeah all the subtlety's gone out of the window and it's just there to it's like the darth vader thing as well it's just there to get him in the fucking suit or yeah. get him in the adamantium skeleton it's formality yeah that's all it feels like you don't feel like something organic's taking place. And that's it's... where everything else at the start is rushed because they need to get to this bit. Because yeah. that's the bit that everyone wants to see, apparently. When really it's the opposite way around. You're rushing over the shit that everybody really Even wants to see. Even though we've technically already seen it with yeah, X-Men exactly. So It's like people really, really want to see Wolverine at the point he is in the last films. That's what they think. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. I'd rather the films continue to deal with him in the future and maybe have him confront the person that he used to be and whether or not he's repulsed by that or whatnot because i think the thing that these films do is they make his amnesia not matter because yeah. he hasn't changed as a character anyway also changed is he can't remember mm. but as a character he's still fundamentally the same he's not faced with a darker side or a possible person he could become he's not faced with a conflict his conflict is literally just becomes I can't remember. I can't mm. remember what happened yesterday. That becomes his conflict entirely. And that's dull. Mm. That's so very dull. But yeah, I think the main thing we need to talk about really is the opening 20 minutes. All the characters are in that open 20 minutes. And then any other superhero character that's featured in this film that basically has a, a reduced role or is skimmed over. Yeah. Because there are many. There and are. Some need and to be there and some don't. Disappear for quite a long time. Yeah. I think... One of the characters that we have to talk about, and I think I know what you're getting towards, is uh, Deadpool. Obviously, we have to talk about Deadpool because Deadpool should be out very, very soon. Yeah, yeah. He is a primary example of this. Yeah. In that they set him up as a character, they give him a few lines to make an impact, and then he disappears for a large portion of the film and mm. reappears completely unrecognizable as himself and stripped down of any kind of charisma or... Um, any kind of qualities and just turn into a robot really yeah he's just a, a grunt to fight at the end of the day yeah he just turns into the film's big bad and it's really poor are you familiar with deadpool as a character at all uh, no no and to be honest i'm only really familiar with it because of the new film yeah and the fact that they seem to be getting it right yeah <laughs> these films they always have to tread a line like i would never admit i'm not a massive comic book fan i don't read comic books but sometimes I like watching comic book movies if they're compelling enough. But I remember watching this and the whole fact that it was called Deadpool didn't bother me. Yeah. But I don't know anything about Deadpool, but I'm excited about Deadpool the movie because of what they're doing with it. Yeah. It's got to tread that line. It's got to obviously appease people who like reading the comic books, but then also appease people who don't like reading the comic books and don't have loads of interest in comic book characters yeah. but are led in by an intriguing story or a different spin on something. Mm -hmm. I think that's what a lot of these comic book filmmaker adaptation studio houses, they don't get. Yeah. Is that not everybody likes reading comic books. No, oh, very true. And yeah. uh, it has to tread that line between filmmaking and the comic books themselves. And sometimes they don't really appeal. Well, there's times like this where they appease no one yeah they've appeased <laughs> then neither yeah and then you get things like uh like watchmen where they're too religious and then it ends up being a, um, yeah. a slightly compromised well, film that's the thing about watchmen for me is it's too religious up until the time when it matters most and then yeah, it isn't yeah. yeah because that's the thing they change the ending to watchmen and that's the 
part of the film most that I do not buy. Because rather than making it an alien that the whole world unites against, they make it the US's super weapon. Mm. And I don't buy that the rest of the world would unite yeah. over that. I yeah, think yeah. the rest of the world would simply unite and bomb the fuck out of America. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Mm. But anyway, that's Watchmen. But uh, yeah. yeah, I do agree with you that you do need to appease both the people that are familiar with the comic book and the people that aren't. Because at the end of the day, there are more people out there that aren't familiar with the comic book that you really need to be in the cinema watching that film. And I am somewhat knowledgeable of deadpool my brother collects all the books yeah, yeah and um he's very much involved with deadpool as a character and i've read a couple and yeah i quite like him as a character i wish i would have come across the comic books when i was 13 years old yeah because it seems more like it's something i'd be really into then that's not a slight on the character whatsoever he's very immature and infantile i like that about him but i think that's what it is it's about pulling out all these characters and the characteristics that are different to each other because the thing i the thing i don't like about a lot of superhero films they are so ridiculously samey yes like some of the characters are interchangeable yeah like, really some of these are just generic hero stereotypes that you can yeah. trace back to thousands and thousands of years in different storytelling mediums but it's the ones that are different that needs to be explored which are the ones that are compelling which is why i mean i don't watch that many comic book films but like something like deadpool is kind of compelling because like oh shit this is different yeah i've not seen this before same with guardians of the galaxy as well because that's different yeah it is it's also like different it's um it's like a space opera superhero film that's funny yeah that, exactly yeah that's funny and contemporary and it's, yeah. it's strange like that it's weird because it's it's dealing with all these kind of like crazy off-world fantastical ideas out in space while at the same time still being grounded to the real world yeah. by, by this character Peter Quill. I love the idea of that. And, and you're right about Deadpool as well in that, I mean, what other R-rated, foul-mouthed, 80s action film-esque type superheroes are there out there? <laughs> Not many. There isn't. And I think even just looking at the trailer, you get an idea of the character that Deadpool's supposed to be. And then you see him in this film, X-Men Origins. And um, not so much when we see him before the operation, but afterwards. Oh, yeah. They've completely deprived him of his... Like the, he's the Merc with a mouth. That's literally his name. Yeah, the Merc with a mouth. They literally like They saw his, his mouth, mouth shut. Up. It's like they do the one thing that they don't need to do. Yeah. And it's like I say, all these things are very similar and very samey and very familiar that he's just the, at the end of the day, it's almost like the, um, it's almost like the Terminator reveal shot in Terminator Salvation. It's exactly the same thing where they reveal the big robot at the end yeah. that everyone has to fight. That's what this film gets wrong. I mean, there's, there's quite a lot of compelling characters, potentially compelling characters in this film. And it does next to zero with all of them. I yeah. mean, even Gambit is just there to get wolverine to the island yeah i think it's incredibly episodic in that way oh, yeah the film yeah. itself it's another one of those films where you do get the sense that there's been a series of films like kind of condensed into one yeah but this more so than anything i think we've reviewed it just feels like a series of vignettes as wolverine just kind of makes his way through meeting all these different characters and it kind of goes nowhere as well yeah i mean you could have had a film out of the going through the different wars and then breaking off with Sabretooth. then you could have a film about team x yeah and then you could have had a film that goes between that and what it is now you could yeah. have made a whole you could make three decent films out of this one mm -hmm. film the last 80 minutes of it isn't told in a particularly brilliant way but 
there is enough story there to actually make three films. Yeah. But it skimmed over so much that the whole film is, like I said, it's like it's very much like um, like our pulp films that we we're talking about, and they're 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 very very sl- it's a very slight film. Yeah, it doesn't get deep into anything. Yeah, it's just all surface. Yeah, it's like an advert for a trilogy that you'll never see. Yeah, in a way, but not even an advert because it's like an advert made by somebody who's got five quid to spend because um, <laughs> it just looks like dog shit most of the time. Mm-hmm. It really, I remember because of watching it and it really pained me though watching the first 20 minutes because I was like, there would have been a really good film for these opening 20 minutes. Yeah. It even goes down Superman territory at one point when they come across the Kents. Oh, who, yeah. Who, who are not the Kents. Oh, that really pissed me off as when they get killed off. It's quite probably the most merciless killing of characters I've seen for quite some time in a film. Yeah, and it's because it comes at a point where you think the film could potentially, even though it's a complete rip-off of Superman, it could potentially, from this point onwards, start to find its feet. We are finally given a moment to breathe because the film's moved at such a breakneck pace mm. anyway. We're finally given a moment to breathe. We're getting to know these characters, and then they're kind of really mercilessly killed off for a PG-13 oh, film, yeah, a yeah. family-friendly film, really horribly. But it doesn't actually matter to the character. No. He doesn't care. Because the next minute he's rowing off looking cool on his bike. Yeah, and he kills the guys that do it, but he never mentions them ever again. No. And he gets gifted this old man's bike for reasons. Do you just kind of like him because he looks a little jacket. bit like the sun? Yeah. And he gets the jacket off He gets him the as jacket, well. yeah. But he blows up the bike moments later. Yeah. It's like this bike that they've been talking about how much it means to them. Yeah. That's not the character that's set up in the rest of the film. No. His character wouldn't care. At the same time, it's like, if you're going to go down that road, please do, because I would like to see some different sides of this character. If you're going to make him a bit of an anti-hero, let's see that. Yeah. Please explore that. But they really don't. It's like they have their cake and eat it too. Yeah. They think, oh, in some scenes we will explore that, in other scenes we won't. Because he's really kind of affable to these older people earlier on in the film and really nice to them. Yeah, because that's the thing you were mentioning before as well, because if you're going to have this amnesia thing, why not make him a slightly different character to how he is in the rest of the series? Because that's the whole point, isn't it? Isn't it? Why, why not give him something to forget? Isn't that the point of his character? Isn't that what the thematic relevance is with these type of characters? We see it with Jason Bourne. Is he is literally given something to forget, which is he is an assassin. He wanted to be an assassin, and that's what he's become. And now that he's forgot that, he doesn't want to be it anymore. Mm. With Wolverine, he's got nothing to forget. He's got nothing that's going to haunt him. You know, he he is this haunted character. They always talk about him being a haunted character, but he literally does nothing to haunt himself with. And he's got the same personality before the amnesia than he does after the amnesia. Exactly. It's like the filmmakers have not been creative enough to slightly tweak his personality. They're too scared that they'll make him him unlikable. Yeah, they're too scared of making him unlikable because they don't want to separate the audience from the character they've already established. Mm. So they just simply stick with the same character. Yeah, I think this is the one of the main things that really annoyed Hugh Jackman, that they didn't achieve anything mm. character-wise with this film. It's just a big nothing. Yeah. It doesn't achieve in doing anything to progress his story, really, other than telling you what we already know. Because we already know all this stuff that they're doing. It's just playing it out mm-hmm. episodically. That's what I like about The Wolverine, is that when we first pick up with The Wolverine and where he's at, he is a different character than what we've seen before. In fact, so much so that he almost kills a lot of people yeah. that have just killed a bear. Like, we get a feeling that he's become a bit of an animal now. 
unfortunately that film does away with that aspect of the character about 20 minutes in it kind of disappears yeah and, and resurfaces every now and again but i like that that film starts off with wolverine as a different character mm. at a different point in his life where he is a bit of an animal and I actually wish this film was more about that. Yeah, but it, it does amaze me how much the opening 20 minutes just glosses over. Like, So we go from the 1800s Canadian setting yeah. to going oh. through all the different wars and then getting to Team X in the 60s or 70s yep. to that team breaking up and him rejecting Sabretooth mm-hmm. as his brother and friend and stuff. That's literally less than 20 minutes. What are the wars that we go through? Uh, Is the, it the, the American, American Civil, Civil War? War? First World War, Second World War, and then Vietnam? Yeah. Oh, so much potential. In the space of literally a minute. Could you imagine half. American Civil War Wolverine film? Oh, yeah. I mean, just from that one or two shots that's in the film, that looks a good movie. Oh, we're <laughs> yeah. going to another one now. <laughs> it's like, oh. You could only have felt like that after watching it for the very first time. Thinking, yeah. They went down here. This is the main <laughs> part of the film. That's what they spent most of the 100 minute running time on. It's unbelievable, isn't it? It's it's because it's the easiest thing to do. Of course it is. And it's the least risk-free thing to do. To do a film uh, with Wolverine in the American Civil War or going through different wars would have represented too much of a risk on Tom mm-hmm. Rothman's part. That's not a thing that they would have wanted to do. Yeah. It has to be familiar. Of course it does. It basically yeah. has to look like the other X-Men films in a slightly more rural setting, but it's pretty much the same. Yeah. And it's cheaper. Of course it is. That is of course it's That's cheaper. That's Okay, and I think uh, we really have to move on to the performances in this film, as we usually do from this point. And, um, I mean, what did you think of the film for its uh, for the acting involved? Because you've got the likes of Hugh Jackman, Hugh Jackman, <laughs> Leif Schreiber, <laughs> Ryan Reynolds, Danny Houston, as we've talked about. Yeah. Will I Am. <laughs> Kevin um, Durand? Durand Durand? Yeah, Kevin Durand, yeah. Yeah. And Taylor Kitsch. Yeah. Who uh, plays Gambit. Taylor Kitsch. Taylor Kitsch. Kitsch. Which, to be honest, in my opinion... Captain Charisma. (laughs) John Sharter. Yeah. Um, (laughs) John Sharter. (laughs) John Blart Malcolm. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I mean, it's not a bad cast, to be honest. I think nobody really stands out as, no, as a sore thumb. Like I say, it's not it's not an outstanding cast. There's no outstanding performances, but there's no really bad ones either. I think Hugh Jackman's given it as all, and Leif Schreiber oh, yeah. as well. Yeah, I yeah. think those two together, even though both of their characters are mistreated by the writers, or I'd say writer in this regard, they're not given much to do, but they play it well. Yeah, I mean, and Ryan Reynolds for the five minutes that he's in the film. Yeah, before he turns into the monster well, at the end. He just disappears entirely from the film and doesn't get any kind of... There's no connective tissue between that part of the film and the end of the film. <laughs> yeah, completely, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he went for a string of these comic book movies and them all being just awful. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, before this, we had Blade Trinity. Well, he's essentially playing the same character. It's the same yeah. character, yeah, which was essentially Ryan Reynolds. And the <laughs> thing is, and then that's the thing we haven't mentioned before, is that obviously Blade Trinity, David S. Goya. Yeah. And the fact that they were trying to make a, a Deadpool movie back then. Yes. With David, with David S. Goya. So that's how this it morphed into this. So this was his opportunity to play him. Yeah. Which he thought maybe have been the only time to play him because the thing is with the Deadpool movie... 
the only reason they can even make the film is that it's a lower budget film yeah that's the only reason really mm-hmm. it's not because the character's popular it would do really well again it comes down to the money thing it's cheaper so we'll, yeah. we'll make it from this he went on to do Green Lantern as well yeah <laughs> Just to remind everybody of the Green Lantern. That's probably a film that we will cover at mm, some point. To? I know, I know I say it, but can you remember anything from that film? No. I neither can I. It's it's prime. It's got colours in it. Yeah, green. Green was one of them. And purple. That's yeah. about it. It was a red lantern. Uh, Should have been called the brown lantern. Actually, that sounds <laughs> racist. <The brown> <laughs> <laughs> that sounds racist. Oh, dear. I think the reason why most of the other actors' performances aren't as um, outstanding but they're solid is because they've, they're given very little to work with. Yeah. I mean, if you're an actor given this script, you'd be like, what the fuck do I do with that? Well, just to just to give you an example of that, I mean, uh, Ryan Reynolds probably has the best lines in the film in terms of them being punchy and a little bit funny. Mm. And when he's in the film, he has a bit of charisma. He doesn't have my favourite line in the film, though. But... <laughs> he actually improvised all of his lines. All oh, right, yeah, yeah, on set. Yeah, so that goes to show that actually, not even it wasn't even in the fucking script. Yeah, <laughs> but I'd, like I'd when sh- he's talking about the high protein diet, so can I uh, in a lift with all these people on a high protein diet? That was one of his lines. I'll actually tell you what my favorite line of the film. Oh, is. go on. It's when uh, Striker is trying to persuade Logan to come back and work for him to try and find uh, all the other people. <laughs> go and on. He, say, he, he basically says, you'll be doing it for your country. And then Wolverine goes, I'm Canadian. I'm Canadian. That's yeah. my favorite line in the whole film. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite splendidly satirizes his delusions in terms of doing everything for his country. Yeah. Which I like. We've got Ryan Reynolds for a week or whatever. Yeah. We're going to use him as much as we can. But the way that the film is edited and plays it out, it makes it look like he's one of the main characters at the start of the film mm-hmm. and then he just disappears yeah he does yeah and later on we find out that he's been surgically enhanced to become this weapon mm. i can't remember what what they call him weapon 11 yeah something like that is is it weapon 11 yeah because uh yeah. Wolverine's weapon 10 of course he is or yeah weapon, weapon x. x yeah so they change him into weapon 11 now at some point he must have been abducted by Sabretooth, lee schreiber who's been doing strikers dirty work rather than show us that confrontation which i imagine would have been quite violent mm. they instead show us them picking up dominic monaghan's yeah. character who <laughs> has the bulb. ability to turn on light bulbs and <laughs> in shit. a fair yeah <laughs> in a caravan it's a climax that takes place in a caravan he's about as physically intimidating as a moth yeah you know in this film and yet that's the confrontation that they decide to show us I can imagine it's actually been written, but then Tom Rothman's gone, right, so there's one in this spectacular setting that's really violent, has a lot of stunts in it. Yeah. <laughs> or there's this one that we've got that's just a, a talking scene in a caravan. Uh, we'll go for the caravan. <laughs> we can shoot it in Tawan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's a Pontons around the corner. Yeah. Shoot it there. Yeah. The thing I'm... I get bothered about, and again, this is a thing going back to comic books and them making the film assuming that everyone knows everything about this character. Yeah. The film makes no attempt to explain why these characters live so long, why they've got the abilities that they have, or any kind of uh, any kind of relationship between the characters other than the fact that it just says I... we're half-brothers. It just it makes no attempt to even explain that to the audience. In, not in a way that, obviously, people 
already knew it that it wouldn't be passionizing but for people who didn't know yeah explains it at all i was gonna say i think it's covered in one of the previous x films where um xavier says something about wolverine's ability to regenerate creates longer life yeah or something like you know it's but that key relationship between them as being half brothers between saber tooth and wolverine it's never drawn upon and their powers specifically is never really um played upon them both being very similar people and both having very similar powers and i get that they're trying to say oh look they're opposite sides of the same coin but they never take it far enough and they never explore it for what it's actually worth yeah yeah um, so it's explored on a really superficial level yeah and we, we were talking about this when we when we talk about when we talked about highlander as well this makes the same mistakes and this is where it could really deal with it and explain it more and, and get into the whole psychology of the character and is that yeah this is a character that seemingly lives forever and how does this character deal with that yeah and uh this is yet another example of them not taking the bull by the horns i mean i, I think at least with highlander they confront that a little bit more in terms of um, actually showing you that character in more detail over a period of time. Whereas with Wolverine, they just kind of, they rush for it so quickly and never once does the character actually mull on the fact that he can live and yeah, vastly outlive seemed... the people surrounding him and the people that he loves. Yeah, He, he never really confronts that whatsoever. Yeah, it seems like they're always really quick to rush to all the fanboyish stuff. Like, yeah. Very much like we were talking about with lightsabers and stuff. Like, the more compelling things about the character is not the fact that he has claws in his arms and he's come out of his hands. It's the fact that he can regenerate and basically live forever. And how does this character do with... How, with, how with, does he live with that? Yeah. But they're always quick to go to, oh, he's got an adamantium skeleton. He's, he's got a fight. So that's the only issue I really have with Wolverine, the character, is that because he's basically indestructible whenever he's in any position of threat it's always kind of boring and that's what they had to do with the wolverine is basically take away his power yes in order to up the stakes so the basic premise of that character mm-hmm. is um is kind of dull in that respect when you're talking on filmic level well that's the thing that i like about the wolverine is, yeah. is not so much that they take away his powers because i don't like the way that they do that no, because i don't no. like that toxic lady no. but the film makes it more about how can you hurt this man and it's by killing the people that he loves and he's still he's haunted by the memories of gene and the film like follows that more closely about it being how you can emotionally damage this individual I like that that plays with it, even if it's so kind of um, peripheral. Yeah, I think the um, main problem with that one is that I think, no fault of the filmmakers, but I think too much time had passed in between the two films. Definitely. For it to really have much of it an sh- impact. It should have been. Directly, that's yeah. the film that should have directly followed mm-hmm. Last Stand. Definitely. That's the film that this film would have been. I think that's exactly how they intended and, uh, it as well. And yeah, but and it, it's you're like, right. It's, it's, it's impact is much lessened because it's just too much time's passed between mm-hmm. that. And, they and unfortunately, then the film that follows it completely rewrites that history anyway. Yeah. So it becomes somewhat redundant. But as a film on its own, yeah. Yeah. I yeah. completely get you. But um, going back to um, Lee Schreiber as well, it's like he's playing it well, but. There's nothing to his character. Not whatsoever. Other than that he's bad. He looks cool. He delivers his lines in an appropriately gruff accent. He suits the part. On page, though, his character adds nothing. Mm. His character has no depth whatsoever. He's simply just the angrier side to Wolverine. Mm. And he's supposed to represent that. But we never see that with Wolverine anyway. We never see that he could become that. No. If Sabretooth represented something that Wolverine could become i would get that 
but that would only work if they altered his personality exactly for this film and then obviously by the end he becomes he starts becoming the character that we know but um yeah it's, it just it doesn't want to somewhere in one of these drafts maybe a film that does that i imagine but, so um it's one of those situations again where they've gone down to the lowest common denominator route and yeah. done the easiest thing they've chased that um, quick book that for them it's not paid off yeah and quite obviously because uh serves them right mm-hmm. i mean it almost annoys me that it's made the the amount of money that it even did yeah because uh it doesn't deserve a penny of it and it was considered something of a failure at the time oh yeah because, but it yeah, did yeah. make uh, more than a fair share oh yeah it wastes so many i mean like i said but they're doing a gambit film gambit got massive nothing character in this he has a few little things that he does but there's no reason for it. He's him just to there do because that. fans wanted to see Gambit. Yeah. Uh, again, th- this film well, is tick- essentially. A lot of ticking boxes. Exactly. It's a Comic Con reel. Yeah. It's something that they can show at Comic Con and say, look, we did it, guys. <laughs> you know, that that's it. Yeah. And. Oh, you want these characters to have depth? Oh, <laughs> shit. We forgot we to do forgot that. We forgot that, guys. Oh. Oh. It does speak volumes as well that um, they are starting to make films about these lesser known characters well on an individual level yeah well on all fronts not even just um like x-men but in terms of marvel and dc they're starting to venture out of their core um like comfort zone comfort zone groups and maybe exploring some of these other characters that actually might even be more interesting than some of the Mm -hmm. main ones especially because they always seem to go down the road of exploring the characters that are most almost invincible at first yeah and now once you start to explore the peripheral characters and you start to realize there's more interesting characters with more interesting flaws on on the um, outskirts i think that's i like the idea of that it seems to me that for the longest time it's the characters that have been the most historically significant and that have been made into films. But as time's gone on, and I say the same things happen with video games as well, video games have got better yeah. and comic books have got better, especially since the 80s, Yeah, especially the advent of the graphic novel. Because mm-hmm. that's kind of a fairly new art form, the graphic novel. It's only yeah. been around since the... Were there any graphic novels in the 70s? I don't know. I don't, Not if there I were, know. there weren't many, but yeah. it really became a thing in the 80s and then mm-hmm. more so in the 90s. And But the thing is, like we're saying, Guardians of the Galaxy is a fairly recent property. It's not that old. No. Which is why it's kind of more interesting. And also, it's quite funny in a way that there was that worry from the studio that it wasn't going to succeed because it yeah. wasn't a classic property. Mm-hmm. But that wasn't the point. They were good characters and we liked them. That's why it did well. Yeah. And I think that seems to be happening more now. Like, same thing like where I said with Deadpool. He's not a massively well-known character, but yeah. he seems like a very interesting character. We always have to remember when we talk about Marvel that considering how safe they have got at times and boy have they gotten safe, we always have to remember that they started their studio production thing off the back of Iron Man, mm. who was not a known character no. when he first came out. And that's hard to believe now, merely six or seven years later, that Iron Man at some yeah. point was not really that well known as he a was character. Always, he, people always joke he's everyone's third favourite superhero. Yeah. <laughs> but even himself as a character is very flawed, mm. but also very interesting. He's an arms dealer. And yeah. he's trying to make an arms dealer a likeable superhero. Mm. That's a risk. And that's how Marvel started. And every now and again, they remind you that Fox, at this point, they weren't interested in risks. No. But it seems like some of these newer things are a little bit more interesting on the whole because they have to be more, they have mm-hmm. to have more depth to them than the yes. older characters. Because, like I said, I mean, I remember watching a documentary on Superman. I mean, 
the first couple of issues is they're kind of fun, but they're story-wise absolute bull. <laughs> yeah, like the threadbare. Yeah, uh, which is why people always have a hard time making a Superman movie because <laughs> yeah. it's really not that interesting. He's again, it's, as well, it's because he's almost flawless. Yeah, and the only way that you can really harm Superman is by harming the people that he loves. I think people lose that sometimes. They are always chasing, how can I physically damage Superman? Mm. And there's always some kind of kryptonite thing going on. But it's not about physical damage. It's about emotional damage that you can Mm. do to him. Yeah. And I guess that's with Wolverine as well. That's something that they forget with Wolverine at times. Well, they try to do it in this film, but with the whole romance thing. But it's so... um it's so peripheral. Like she's mm. in the f- again. This is another character that's in the she's film in the for film about enough. ten minutes. Yeah, she- she's in it for a very short section. Then she goes, and then there's a whole like forty odd minutes where she's not in it, and then she suddenly reappears again for another ten minutes. And if you're gonna do a film like that, do that film mm-hmm. and really make it get. You know, they didn't have enough um, chemistry, and there wasn't enough of a relationship there for us to really care. No. Like I said, if you made this film a trilogy, you could have seeded that in the last film. Of course, And then if this was the last film, then her betrayal would be, like, way more important. Yeah. You could have made this film a trilogy. You could have had the the, the war stuff in the first film with the Sabretooth split. You could have had the TMX as the second film. Yeah. And then this, and then the whole eventual adamantium thing, the last film. And Mm -hmm. then Bob's your uncle, there's your Wolverine trilogy. It's all there. Yeah. In some context. It's just, yeah, again, none of it's done particularly well. Yeah, it just feels like a half-assed trailer yeah. for those films. I think one thing, one last thing that I really think we need to address and that people will be asking why we haven't addressed so far is um, the special effects. Oh, God. Because, boy, are they a mixed bag in this film. <laughs> um, especially the adamantium claws. Oh. Which... I thought were entirely CG and looked completely cartoony. You can see that they're almost like floating on his hands at yeah. some points, which I don't get because previously and the adamantium claws have always looked great. They've never looked as cartoonish as they are here. And I listened to the commentary and apparently what actually happened was they had the physical claws built onto his hands and then digitally augmented them, supposedly making them better. But they actually just look like cartoons, and they don't seem to move at the same rate as everything and else. They're, they're like jittery. Yeah, yeah. Especially when he's in that bathroom scene and he starts kind of clinking them together. Oh, that's and they worst. create horrible yeah. sparks. What was wrong with the ones that they had in the other three films? And since as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just so weird that they got something so simple, so fucked up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When it wasn't necessary. And at the same time, it has a great physical effect in it, which is the Blob's fat suit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> which looks that. appropriately fat disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> it's totally Fat Bastard Mark <laughs> 2, isn't it? Yeah. But it looks appropriately disgusting. I think it looks great. Yeah. And uh, again, that's something that they have also augmented with CGI, but just in the right way. Like when he gets punched in the stomach, yeah, you see all the ripples. Yeah. But it's not done in a way where they draw attention to that. No. It's just happening within the frame. <laughs> oh, and, and there's that scene as well in New Orleans when he starts uh, mashing the uh, fire fire ladder. Oh, the fire, yeah. The, the fire the escape. Ladder. Yeah, oh, God. Oh, it's, and there's a gif out there of just that repeating over and over <laughs> and over again. And it looks like I just ele- love all, all these heavy pieces just effortlessly float away. <laughs> like, <laughs> it, it does. It looks like a PlayStation 2 game, oh. honestly. And something I did like that I have to actually bring attention to is, and it's not the best score in the world, but Harry Gregson Williams' music is uh, 
pretty good. It's, yeah. it's got a few nice themes. None of which I would say are remarkably memorable. I can't recall them straight offhand, but I remember listening to the film the other day and thinking, oh, there are a couple of good themes here. A couple of nice pieces of music. Maybe um, one or two pieces that use some stock elements that should have been done away with that I remember listening to in like his Metal Gear Solid scores. Yeah. But yeah, uh, but yeah it's, a, it's a nice score. There's a thing I wanted to, to mention as well. Yes. This is another thing where we're talking about this film being kind of out of time. Yeah. And I wrote in my notes, and this is part of the Team X section, which is the beginning of the film. I wrote in my notes, superheroes against Africans. Yay. <laughs> and um, <laughs> it felt like a, something out of the 80s. Yeah, it did. Like a canon film <laughs> or it, something it, like it that. It did. Yeah, or like something like Red Scorpion or yeah. something like that. I don't understand why they need to do that. Yeah. It just felt so inappropriate. It uh, did. Especially for a 2009 film to go down that road. <laughs> it made me a little uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, and you could tell that they'd obviously had trouble editing it down for the ratings as when they do lash out and kill a lot of people in the village, you don't see anybody actually killed. All you see is it cuts to the superheroes and each of them's moving like it cuts to Deadpool and he's wishing about his swords, but you don't see him actually hitting anybody. He's just moving his swords about in the air. But even in the other bit when they're in the the office block, like with Wade, uh, with all the sword stuff, and I'm like, this is a bit weird. Yeah. Um, Why have all these actors agreed to be in this scene? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it, it is Team X first black people. Yeah, it just becomes about them just slaying and a as token many black Asian people. guy and a token and, black guy, and, and they hands. find out as well when they get to the main dealer of the diamonds, yeah. the blood diamonds, and they get to him and they say to him that they actually don't care about him or his little operation he's got. They just want to know where the adamantium yeah. from. <laughs> so they why can't they just him? ask him? Yeah. We can send an email or something. Why, why, why did they need to kill all those people? <laughs> and I mean, if we are to believe that these are blood diamonds and who they've essentially just killed are just workers. Yeah, like just poor, poor people that have been brought into the trade to mine blood diamonds and count them, and they've all just been slayed. So like, the Americans are here to help. Die, die, die. Yeah, it just it just wasn't good. <laughs> it really wasn't good. No, not thought out whatsoever. No. I don't know about you. There's an awful lot of shots where people scream and the camera pulls back. Like, ah! oh yeah, sort of yeah. like there's so many. There's about four or five yeah in the film where it's like what are you doing <laughs> yeah there is and there's also an awful lot of shots where the um... they're uninspired <laughs> yeah no genuinely yeah because there are a lot of shots of just actors faces like close-ups of actors faces with the background in shallow focus yeah where it's just a floating head on the screen yeah and nothing else happening within the frame there's plenty of that happening all scenes of people talking to each other are pretty much that just kind of flat yeah it has tv movie vibes about it again it does yeah yeah it doesn't doesn't feel like an expensive motion picture no i guess that's what you pay for yeah Yeah. especially by the end i mean like uh, we've not even got into that section yet really the staten island stuff oh yeah talking about that as well that's where we get to introduce to all of the other mutants and we haven't even talked about patrick stewart making his little cameo at the end talking about filmmaking I mean, Patrick Stewart appears at the end of the film with some of the worst digital de-aging I have ever seen. <laughs> and some of the worst green screen. That shot of all the mutants running towards oh, the helicopter. Yeah, it's like... It's god-awful. They're just floating. It reminded yeah. me of um, what's The Incredible Bulk or whatever it's called. Yeah. I was like, going to say it's like something out of Best of the Worst. Or it, it really like is. Oh. 
Yeah, it is like when they're running in the Incredible Bulk, isn't it? When they're running yeah. down the... <laughs> oh, yeah. Even on DVD, I had to buy this on DVD. Yeah. I didn't want to buy it on Blu-ray because it was uh, too much of my hard-earned cash to invest <laughs> in this film. But um, I managed to find it in CEX and they were selling it for a grand old total of uh, 50p. But I managed to get 10% off. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, they did have to mention I was buying it to do this podcast because I was so embarrassed at actually buying this film. Yeah. Uh, yeah and the, so you should be. Well, the, the woman was looking at me funny. So <laughs> I was like, I had to find another good film to buy with it because uh, I didn't mm-hmm. want to like buy it on its own because I look like some weirdo. But um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I spent a grand total of 45p for this episode. So and uh, that's probably you too much. fucking appreciate it. It's yeah, it's 44 p- <laughs> Yeah, and then we get to the whole Scott Summers thing, which I don't get at all why it's there. No, I don't know why they're introducing Scott Summers, uh, other than it being another fan favorite thing. Oh, yeah. we've got Wolverine, we've got to have Scott Summers somewhere because they don't get on. They famously don't get along well. Yeah. Wouldn't that be cute? But also, isn't like Scott Summers. It doesn't make sense for him to be alive and at, at that time, at that age, considering when we see him in X-Men 1, which is basically around about the year 2000, he looks about 30 years old. Yeah. So this is based in the 70s when we see him. Yeah. And he looks about 16, 17. Yeah. It wouldn't make sense for him to be that old. Yeah, it doesn't make sense anyway, because if you're playing on the whole idea that Wolverine's got this amnesia and they've already met, then this guy knows who he is already. Yeah, well, they cover up his eyes, don't they, for the most part? But yeah, yeah. Wouldn't he ask who freed him? Yeah. Oh, it was that guy with the metal claws. Which guy? Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> just, <laughs> just some random guy with metal claws. Yeah. I to meet them all the time. But yeah, it really did feel like fan service for no reason. Yeah. And here's the other thing, right? If the whole thing with this whole experiment thing that that leading up to this weapon, yeah, why isn't he Weapon X and Wolverine Weapon Nine? Because it just makes more logical sense for the end game to be Weapon X, not Weapon 11. Comic books. Because <laughs> it's like... Comic books. Oh, but it's it doesn't make any sense. It's because Wolverine was Weapon X before they came up with... Uh, yeah. And I don't think I don't think um, Deadpool was ever Weapon 11. No. That's I don't, just something I think that's, that's a, been yeah. retroactively added. Yeah. But just even on a basic planning yeah, front, it just yeah. looks a bit shoddy. It does. If you're going to change something like that, then just change it. Because mm-hmm. none of this stuff's sacred. Because to comic books, they change their backstories all the time. Of course. They go through cycles of every like 10 or 20 years of yeah. just deciding, ah, oh, fuck everything, we're starting again. Yeah. And that's what they did with these films. After this came out, they decided, ah, oh, fuck everything, we are starting again. Actually, the other thing I was going to say with Gambit, is Taylor Kitsch putting on a southern accent or is he not? Because I couldn't quite work it out. I. Th- think he was putting on a southern accent everything I've, else i've seen him in he doesn't have a southern accent but then again i haven't seen friday night lights yeah which is the film uh, the tv show sorry yeah that got him attention in the first place but it felt like he was doing it some of the time and then not all and the not time. all the time yeah also there's some editing decisions with that fight where gambit gets knocked out in an alleyway yeah and then Sabretooth and Wolverine start fighting in an alleyway mm. 20 seconds later gambit's running across the rooftop from miles away yeah. And jumps down in the middle of the alley and blows everybody up. Yeah. Wasn't he just like knocked out on the floor just seconds before? I, it's stuff like that. I just don't get how, how they've thought about getting away with it. Yeah. Although in that particular fight scene, I did, there was one thing I did like about that fight scene is the whole, um, the way that Sabretooth kills 
John Rafe. Oh, but grabbing hold of his spine. With the teleport. That saying, was pretty good. Saying he's predictable. It's my favorite yeah. part of the film. Yeah. Just as a moment. Shall we uh, wrap up? Yeah. Have you got anything? Uh, well, the only thing as well is just the whole climax of the film was just like so ridiculously flat and horrible. Well, yeah, because it's another thing that's been shot entirely on green screens. Yeah. And there's nothing exciting happening. Yeah. And you've got all these um, mutant characters, all these mutant kids, and they don't do anything. No. Uh, and then yeah, away. And then they build up the Deadpool as yeah. being this unstoppable, unpredictable killing machine. And he's he's ousted in, in under two minutes. Yeah. And rather easily. Yeah. Just one of them distracts them with, you know, by getting himself pummeled almost to death. Mm. And then the other one cuts off his head and that's it. Yeah. He's so easily done away with. And it's shot in such a uninteresting way anyway. And it looks so shoddy. You're well, already, I, think, I think they hemmed them in by just having a fight on top of a cooling tower where you've got like literally like a couple of feet either way. Yeah, there's <laughs> nowhere like, to go. No. Why, it, why and it doesn't a... even look grand because all you've got behind you is sky. But the thing is, it's a shitty fight because it's on top of a cooling tower, so no one can really move that much. And also, it's a green screen cooling tower, so it looks mm. bad as well. So yes, yeah, got... so, and there's no real shots whatsoever. No, because you can't stage anything. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, they really shot themselves in the foot on that one. Definitely. So now that we've discussed our opinions of the film, it's time to move over to the stats and facts to look for clues as to why the film has been forgotten. <laughs> Did it bomb? Did the critics hate it? Let's take a look, shall we? Starting with the critics. So on Rotten Tomatoes, it has a percentage of 38%, which is, which is more than it deserves. Yeah, it's quite high. Yeah, uh, I think it's just because it's a Wolverine film. Mm-hmm. And it's got an average rating of 5.1 out of 10, which is way more than it deserves. Definitely. I'm thinking more 2, 3 out of 10. Yeah, at 3 out of punch. Yeah, and this is based on 252 reviews. So I think this is kind of people being kinder than they should be. Yeah, at the same time, this has kind of like been publicly acknowledged to be a troubled production. So yeah. people probably went into it expecting it to be a lot worse than it was and probably yeah. granted it a little bit of leeway for not... Well, I, to be honest, to me, it is terrible and it does shit the bed. Yeah. But I guess for other people, it just wasn't as bad as they thought it was going to be. The consensus is uh, that Hugh Jackman... Gives us his all. He can't help X-Men Origins Wolverine overcome a cliche-ridden script and familiar narrative. Which is true. Yeah. Or it's not even that. It's just the fact that it's rushed through at 100 miles an hour and yeah. doesn't really delve into anything. Roger Ebert gave it 2 out of 4, which even for him is kind of high. I expect him to give it 1 out of 4. I did. X-Men Origins Wolverine finally answers the burning question left hanging after all three previous Wolverine movies of the origins of Logan, whose knuckles conceal long wicked blades... He's about 175 years old. He apparently stopped changing when he reached Hugh Jackman's age. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing, isn't it? They never really delve into that. And neither he nor we found out how he developed such an interesting mutation, which is what I was saying. Yeah, yeah definitely. Like I say, it adds so nothing. So for a film called Origins, it doesn't actually adds tell you. Adds nothing to the Wolverine character that we don't yeah. already know. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, Empire gave it 2 out of 5, which is yeah, it's more appropriate. Yeah, definitely. Uh, can everyone stop making media origin stories now, please? While not a disaster, is this isn't the claws-out rampaging adventure we hoped for. No one cares where Wolverine found his jacket. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. It's yeah. like, that's the kind of origins that it's interested in. Yeah. And that was the review was from Nick DeSemlin. Yeah. Who is actually one of our Twitter followers. So, ah. hello, Nick. Hello. So, yeah, the IMDb score on this is... 6.7 I mean it's, it's, what the fuck it's is going on there so high 
which is just ridiculous. I think it's a higher rating than even like Alien Three, which is a just such a better film. Yeah. So talking about two films with say it's a much brave. I mean, for whatever you can say about Alien Three, it's a much yeah. braver film than oh, this. Oh, definitely. It takes uh, so many risks, <laughs> and just not by that, it deserves more merit. Oh, oh, it's it's so high. This is like a film that should be wallowing in the fours or something like that. Yeah. It is literally no better than the Alien vs. Predator spin-off films. And so it should share a very similar score because it is the nadir of the X-Men series. It's rock bottom. It is. And like I say, I don't want to say it can't get any worse than this because Hollywood will find a way to surprise <laughs> me. But um, I can't see it getting much worse than this. No. But did it make any money at the box office? Yeah. Well, <laughs> the budget was $150 million. In my opinion, it looks far cheaper than that. Yeah. I mean, $150 million in 2008, 2007, it's not that long ago, So, but it's still a lot of money. It, looks it does. It looks like they've tried to make an $150 million film on a sixty million budget, yeah, because I even if they'd spent eighty million, I'd still wonder where the money went. Like, yeah, to be honest, even if they made it on a sixty million budget, I would still wonder where the money went. Definitely. So yeah. I, God knows, it definitely didn't go I think to the Tom, CGI. I think Tom Rothman pinched it all. <laughs> it's it's a producers type situation. Yeah, producers cut. He gave himself fifty million. <laughs> so off a hundred and fifty million budget, it's a domestic gross was one hundred and seventy nine million dollars, or well, one hundred and eighty. And its foreign was 193, with a worldwide total of 373 million dollars, which is an incredible amount of money. But just to give you an idea of just how big the fall off was from this film in yeah. terms of how poisonous word of mouth was, it opened to 85 million dollars on its opening weekend, which is a massive amount of money, and probably the biggest opening for the X Men series at that time. Mm. And it only went on to really double that. So the opening weekend ended up being like forty eight percent of the film's overall growth. Wow, it just plummeted afterwards. Because yeah. like I mean, it's made its money back, but I wouldn't say it's not a it's not a home run. It's not a smash hit. Because we have to because maybe we have to put in marketing and that. Yes. Probably in the middle about fifty million. But it's probably made someone home video and all that because they always yeah. say home video offsets marketing. But, um, but it's not made them a lot of money, and that's probably why they took the series in a radically different direction following yeah. x-men origins Wolverine. especially when you compare it to maybe what some of the earlier films in the series made definitely yeah well yeah. i actually i have that here because in the overall ranking x-men origins wolverine is fourth with 179 million then again x-men came out in 2000 and that made almost 160 million hmm. x-men 2 214 days of futures past 233 and the last stand is the most with 234 that's domestically but adjusted for um ticket price inflation it's at round number five weirdly enough it's x-men first class and the wolverine that are right at the bottom mm. and i think it's simply that they follow this film yeah because <laughs> no joke x-men origins wolverine kind of it pissed in the soup yeah yeah and it's uh it kind of turned a lot of people off the x-men series yeah and it's only just now now that we've just had days of futures past that it's really started to find its box office feet again. Mm. First Class was a step in the right direction critically, and in some regards, so was The Wolverine. But it's only just now the box office is starting to reflect that as well. Mm. But the weekend that Origins opened in America, it actually went up against... Uh, number two was The Ghost of Girlfriend's Past. <laughs> I think it's a Matthew McConaughey movie. <laughs> number three was Obsessed. 
Number four was 17 again. Oh, God. Five, Monsters vs. Aliens. Six was The Soloist. Seventh was Earth, which is a documentary. Yeah. Eighth was Hannah Montana, the movie. Nine was Fighting, and ten was State of Play. So, as you can tell, the competition was... <laughs> was really strong. <laughs> yeah, it was really strong. You can see why it plummeted so hard. Wow. I'd love to see what it actually would have made if it had been released against a, a more competitive market. That is a hell of a weekend. That is the perfect weekend for this type of film. Yeah. Because there is not a single shred of competition. It's the only film them. that anybody wants to go and see. I just want to watch the X-Men film because that's the only thing that's on. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, overall, it did make its money back. It probably didn't make them a lot Rather of money. Rather annoyingly. <laughs> but as we've seen, it's done more damage in the long run. Yeah. It's harmed the yeah. series more than it made the money to be honest yeah and that's tom rothman's way yep he comes in he makes a quick book and he destroys the series in the process because he's not interested in the quality he's only interested in the pennies yeah and then it's up to better people to try and rebuild it again exactly and with that all that's left for me to do is ask the questions are you any closer to understanding why x-men origins wolverine has been forgotten uh yeah i just think people are trying their hardest to forget it yeah, it's one of those films that's being willfully forgotten because yeah. a lot of people want to go see it and since then they are just trying to banish it out of their minds. Well, I mean, even when your lead actor doesn't like the film, then that's saying something, yeah. isn't it? And the entire series has gone on to just simply throw it in the trash yeah. where it belongs <laughs> and just um, discount it at every chance that they get and yeah. rightfully so. Yeah. I can imagine a situation at some point where there'll be an X-Men box set where this is not even included in the box set because <laughs> it bears no relevance or is included as a DVD extra. Because yeah. <laughs> it's I so think bad. They will always include it just simply because it means making that extra little book yeah. off the back of Wolverine. Mm. But I think in spirit, they've already abandoned it. Yeah, definitely. And the second question is, is X-Men Origins Wolverine one of the best forgotten movies or is it simply best forgotten? Do we need to answer it, that question? Do we need to answer? <laughs> I, I think it's a simple, this is best forgotten. Yeah. We've already said why and how. I think there's not much else we can really add to that. No. <laughs> it's got one good moment in it. Yeah. That's the most we've come up with. Yeah. Oh, it's got one good line. Oh, one, one good one, moment, one good line. One good moment, one good line. And some uh, nice Ryan Reynolds ad-libbing at the start. And yeah. that's about it. But even when he's ad-libbing, he's killing African people. <laughs> so yeah. uh, it's not that good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> blood diamond workers as well like it's just not good so bad so bad and that's all we have time for on this week's episode of best forgotten movies be sure to like share and subscribe you can also find us on facebook and twitter at b4 movies so please do get in touch with your suggestions for possible episodes also if you have the time to help us continue growing our fan base please rate and subscribe to the podcast page found in the itunes store We'll be back with our next episode as we're taking on plumbers, dinosaurs and Italian stereotypes in the feature film adaptation of Super Mario Brothers, a film that its star, Bob Hoskins, called his biggest regret and disappointment. But until then, it's bye from myself and off we the same pet from Andy. Why, hey man. Thanks for listening.